Thanks for listening today to In 16 Years. I'm Amy, and this is a podcast where I talk about what I've learned in 16 years of living with stage 4 endo, severe IBS, fibromyalgia, and interstitial cystitis. My name is Brittany, and I live with celiac disease, anxiety, and my own hormonal fun. We hope this show will inspire you, empower you, and help you feel supported on your own health journey. Brittany and I are not doctors, dietitians, mental health professionals, experts on endometriosis, or any kind of qualified medical professional. So that means that none of the information we share on this podcast is medical or mental health advice. If you get inspired by something we say, always consult your qualified medical professional first before making any changes. Today we're going to talk about limiting beliefs. What are they? Do I have them? How do they affect me? How can I get rid of them? We want to focus on some of the limited ways we speak about our illness, our capabilities, and even ourselves. Oh my gosh, Brittany, all of that sounds really overwhelming, but something that I'm desperately in need of. (laughs) What exactly are limiting beliefs? Because I know what beliefs are, I think. What do you think a belief is? Okay, let's clarify. I believe in Santa Claus. (laughs) Okay, well, let's talk about like real beliefs, okay? (laughs) Okay, excuse you, because what you believe shapes your reality. That's true. If you believe in Santa Claus, then Santa Claus is part of your reality. So it's Christmas every day? It doesn't have to be Christmas, but Santa Claus is in the North Pole when it's not Christmas. Oh, okay. And he's my friend. I like this reality and he's that you're my, shaping. He's a pen pal of mine. <laughs> oh, okay. You write to him every year? Yeah, we write to him every day. But whenever, oh, wow. he sends the, <laughs> but whenever he sends the letter, they're always written in coal. My oh, hands get so really smudgy. Yeah, my hands get really dirty. <laughs> but you see, if I if I believed, if I had a belief that Santa Claus was real, then my perception and reality around Christmas, for example, or around the North Pole. I mean, I might even take a trip there to go visit <laughs> Visiting. my friend Santa. You see, a belief that we have shapes our reality. So any belief that we have, obviously, that's a belief in something that isn't true. Or is it? It's or a, is it? Nobody knows for sure. It depends what you believe. <laughs> so I understand what a belief is, and we're going to get to more beliefs in this episode. And of course, we're going to get to limiting beliefs. But what exactly is a limiting belief? A limiting belief is a belief that limits you. Huh. <laughs> oh, wow. I know that's my like super profound You've definition. You've blown my mind and I still have no idea what that means. Okay, okay. I'll break it down further. So a limiting belief, as I said, is a belief that limits us. Oh my and goodness. This isn't just in a superficial level now. Now going profound, deep, like open up the surface, go underneath. Sometimes we tell ourselves things, usually about how we feel or how we think we look or something inside of us. We tell ourselves these things, and sometimes they shape how we perceive ourselves, or they kind of come true because we believe them. If we believe something, sometimes we can fulfill that belief. You know, the term self-fulfilling prophecy is something, depending on where regionally you're based is, might be something, a term you're familiar with. But when I believe something's going to happen, it does. Or when I believe I am a certain way, so I become that way. We tell ourselves these beliefs over and over again, and sometimes they limit us. They limit our growth, they limit our opportunities, and they can limit our chances to feel better. Oh my God, I don't want that. I know. I don't want to limit my chance to feel better. Endo already limits that. Exactly. We don't need a double limit. Or is that a limiting belief? Ooh, conspiracy. (laughs) (laughs) Conspiracy. Well, I mean, these beliefs do affect our relationships that we have with ourselves and how we feel about ourselves and also with our health and, in turn, then our endometriosis. I'm sufficiently scared right now. I'm (laughs) quaking. In my boots, and I'm about to write a letter to Santa to ask him to please, <laughs> please bring me only unlimiting beliefs <laughs> for Christmas. For Christmas, <laughs> amplify my reality because clearly, I have a lot of limiting beliefs. <laughs> I feel like limiting beliefs, from what you said, 
You're like, oh, they limit your growth. They limit your opportunities. They limit your chances to feel better. Good Lord. I know. It's a lot of limiting. (laughs) I don't like it. I feel like limiting beliefs are very powerful. And I almost feel like they cast spells on us. Well, yeah, that's why we have to identify those spells and break them. Oh my goodness, how no do more I curses? How do I identify them, Brittany? <laughs> well, that's the million dollar question. So do I just ask my subconscious and then I can say, subconscious? Is this your subconscious always listening? Do I have to knock on the door? I was of say, the knock, knock, knock. Or... Excuse me, subconscious. <laughs> Are you there? <laughs> Are you in? <laughs> Are you available for some questioning? (laughs) You have a moment. I'm about to interrogate you. What do I believe, subconscious? What stories do I tell myself that trap me in my suffering, in my fear, and in my feeling of being undeserving? What you got to say to that, huh? Huh? I think it's probably going to say, um, slam the door in your face and walk away. (laughs) You have disturbed the subconscious. (laughs) Don't shake the limiting beliefs. Well, they're they're pretty well rooted in there. They probably Mm -hmm. don't want to be found out. They're hiding in the back of the subconscious's closet, like at the bottom of it, under all the clothes and broken toys. That's where they are. That's what Santa gives to all the bad kids. Oh, my. (laughs) Limiting beliefs. This this goes deep. (laughs) Okay, but other than Santa, let's give a practical tip. I think the easiest way to start recognizing those beliefs is looking at the language that you use. Sometimes the language that we use can be patterns. So some people use similar phrases frequently or use a specific word a lot that reflects their reality, how they perceive themselves or who they want to be. And this can be a fun word or it can be limiting words. And some of those limiting words can be things like Always saying, oh, that's impossible, or I can't something something, I never can do this. No, Brittany, I never use words like that. Mm. It's impossible that I have limiting beliefs. Mm-hmm. I can't possibly. Okay. It's impossible. <laughs> you lying. <laughs> but those kinds of words are a really good way to kind of, when you hear yourself say them, stop and be like, ooh, ooh, maybe that's something I should pay more attention to and open up that little present of language and see what I'm doing. No, it's a present from your limiting beliefs. You know, if you didn't have such (laughs) limiting beliefs, you might believe in Santa too. Okay. Shade for not believing in Santa. (laughs) I never believed in Santa. Okay. (laughs) Ooh, I have one. Well, this is about language too, but it's about, it's around the, the word no. Are you quick to say no? No. My goodness, don't even let me finish that <laughs> sentence. Jeez, the courtesy, Brittany. What's courtesy? <laughs> you know, to ask yourself, are you quick to say no? Because a lot of times with our limiting beliefs, we're very quick to say no. Not because we have stellar boundaries. We, we support those no's. We love boundaries. <laughs> say no because if you have amazing, rock-solid boundaries... I mean, Santa has boundaries. He only comes out of the North Pole on one day of the year. He's busy all the other days. Preparing for that one Reflecting, writing, making toys, meditating. Santa is a busy man. Well, you guys really are pen pals. <laughs> yeah, he tells me about his life. Wow. Excuse me, Mrs. Claus. Santa's <laughs> trying favorite. to move in on there. <laughs> she need a backup. Okay. <laughs> if you say no very quickly, not because you have excellent boundaries, but you say no out of fear. You say no out of this idea Brittany said, like, no, 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 it's impossible. No, 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 I can't. No, 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 I couldn't possibly try. No, no, no. I won't it, be able to. No, no, no. I'll never be able it to It never that. works out. Mm-hmm. So if you're quite quick to say no to new opportunities or new things, then this may be indicative of a limiting belief that you have. So if you're having a little trouble following along as to what we mean, I want to use like a colloquial kind of term that you've probably heard of, which is negative self-talk. So Guilty. (laughs) So this is kind of what we mean is this negative self-talk either surrounding you as a person or you as a person in relation to your illness. I have an example. I have an example. Of course you do. Well, I do because (laughs) I was guilty of horrendous negative self-talk to myself probably until I was about 28 years old and became aware of my self-talk and then realized I was so mean. Like there was not anyone meaner to myself than me. 
Let's say that I made a mistake. Brittany, give us an example that is not negative self-talk. You made a mistake. You, you forgot to leave the cookies out for Santa. <laughs> I feel like this whole episode is going to be obsessed. <laughs> obsessed with Santa. I loved Santa when I was a kid. And then Aww. someone told me Santa was a real, and they ruined that my life. That might have been me. I, I got in trouble at school because I went around telling kids Santa wasn't real. Brittany is everyone. Oh my god! I didn't know it Brittany wasn't to be mean. Dream breaker. She. Is, it wasn't to be mean. She will take your. Don't ever tell Brittany your dreams. She will take your dreams, pluck them out, and stomp on them no. in high heels, my laughing maniacally. Just, they never told us about Santa being real. They told us the story of Santa. So when people like kids would tell me about Santa, I was just like, "What are you talking about? He's not real. Your parents give you presents." And then I got in trouble, and I didn't know why I was in trouble. And my parents had to explain it to me that kids, like, believe in Santa. It's not my fault, okay? <laughs> Don't say Santa isn't real around me. Santa isn't real. Tell me <laughs> about the positive self-talk. You forgot to leave the cookies out for Santa, which was very disappointing Ugh. for everyone because he's a hungry man. Yeah, he's got, like, literally billions of cookies to eat. Okay. Because <laughs> he goes to billions of houses. How do you think he gets his energy? That's Peanut butter chocolate cookies. chip cookies. Hello. We know your favorites. Go ahead. So I would probably say, oh, oopsie. Well, doesn't matter. He's not real anyway. Oh, my. <laughs> Brittany. Okay, no, no, no. What I would really say was. You forgot. To I forgot the this. cookies. Yes. He is real in this scenario. Thank you. In this reality. I forgot to put out the cookies. I would say, oh, darn it. Well, you know what? That was a mistake. It's not the biggest deal. Nobody died. It's okay. I'm not going to let it affect me. It was just an accident. Everyone makes mistakes. Wow. You're so forgiving with yourself. <laughs> let me go ahead and let the you Santa's in on cookies. what my subconscious would have said to me. All right, me. Amy, what would you have said when you forgot to put out Santa's cookies? Before I learned about negative self-talk about seven years ago, I promise you my subconscious would have said something like, you, insert swear word, that starts with an F, Idiot. You flying, squirreling idiots. You never get anything right because you're not good at anything. You're so stupid. How many times have I told you how stupid you are? You always screw everything up. Honestly, it's embarrassing. It's ridiculous. No wonder why your ex left you. No wonder why you lost your. I mean, it would get really. (laughs) (laughs) People are getting scared. They're like, either they're like, wow, that's mean. They're like, Wow, her voice sounds exactly like my voice. <laughs> her inner voice sounds like my inner voice. I hope that's not the case. But Me that, too. Is, that is not uncommon for our inner critics to be very, very judgmental and negative in their views towards us. And that is a really great way to see your limiting beliefs because what you call yourself when things go wrong, if you're really forgiving like Brittany, how wonderful. <laughs> Brittany's always so wonderful. <laughs> I feel like I'm always the screw up of the podcast. Oh, you see? Oh my God, that's I just what did that it again. Self-talk? I just did it again. Oh my God. See, she's not all better yet. It's a lim- <laughs> see. I have this limiting belief that I'm not good enough, or that I'm you are good stupid, enough. or that I always screw up. And so this is a really good way in identifying the way you talk to yourself, and it's deeply ingrained in us sometimes. So oh yeah, it's gonna pop up even if you worked on it for seven years. Thank you, Brittany. It's okay to let me, make mistakes. Hold on. Let me pat my, my head like a little birdie. Good job. Good girl, Amy. <laughs> You're such a good girl. Lily patting you my head. a cat, a dog. <laughs> now give me a treat. Oh, okay. I'll get you Santa's cookies. Ooh. <laughs> so in a few minutes, we're going to go over how to break the limiting beliefs and how to instill new beliefs. But first, we're just going to do one more way that you can find your limiting beliefs. If you're not sure what your limiting beliefs are, you can ask your loved ones. A very trusted loved one. A very caring, compassionate loved one. You can ask them to help you identify what your limiting beliefs are. And I think this is really nice because it can be really hard to identify in ourselves the Since we're so used to talking to ourselves and we have these patterns, and again, they're beliefs that we have, it can be really hard for us to identify, oh, wow, whenever Amy makes a mistake, she calls herself stupid. Like for me, that was just very normal for me. But I remember when I started dating my partner at that time, 
And sometimes I would make a mistake in front of him and I would berate myself out loud in front of him. He he would get upset. Like, why do you talk to yourself like that? I was like, because that's, that's how I, I do. That's how I talk to myself because I'm an idiot. So I am telling myself what an idiot you are. And he's like, okay, let's unpack that. <laughs> <laughs> let's come sit down at the table. <laughs> let's look into that. And just as a caveat, this is not an invitation for that person to have an open platform for criticism of you. It's good to define the expectation isn't you never take out the trash and yo breast stank, you need to brush your teeth more. That's not. Are you saying that to me? <laughs> yes. That's oh. not <laughs> That's oh, not the open platform. No, I'm just kidding. For this, because that's not really constructive. The purpose is for that person. And that's person. not a belief. No, that's, that's just something that, That's just something you do or don't do. Yeah, that's something <laughs> that's that factual, this person okay. feels that is an annoyance. That's or their a, belief. A, You're asking them to look at your belief. Okay. <laughs> you believe I don't take the trash out enough. <laughs> and they should, I mean, they should be non-judgmental. The point yes. is to help you grow. And the point is to help you. It's a judgment and criticism free zone. So for them to recognize times when you might say, I can never do that. I don't have the energy or it's impossible for me to do that. They'll see these patterns once you've kind of pointed it out to them. And that's when it's their time to say, hey, that's one of those words that we talked about. And then together you can kind of unpack that situation. And do you say that constantly? Is that a part of your lexicon or your frequent vocabulary? And the partner can help you identify those things. That's sometimes really hard to see it in ourselves. So since we're talking about other people's beliefs, if you believe this podcast is excellent and you'd like to support Brittany and I, please go ahead and leave us a rating on iTunes slash Apple Podcasts. That was so cheesy. <laughs> but like, I mean, I support you. Dear Santa, please let like some of Christmas? our lovely listeners leave us a rating on iTunes or Apple Podcasts to help our podcast grow. <laughs> Why do you want your podcast to grow? Because I want to reach more people in the community. Granted, love Santa. <laughs> Can you imagine a review shows up on Apple Podcasts? Someone's name is Sa- please. Somebody do could that. Someone change their nickname to Santa and leave us a review and say we would be eternally grateful. Five star. That clearly, would be hello. So funny. <laughs> okay, Brittany. So I have my beliefs. I believe I'm stupid. I believe I'm not good enough. I believe I'm an idiot. Now what? What do I do with those beliefs? You're going to ask yourself some questions. Like what? You ready for the first one? It's a hard hitter. Why do I believe this? Ooh. Mm-hmm. Ooh. I said a hard hitter. This one's, this one's <laughs> ugly sometimes. This one really forces you to go self-evaluate deep. <laughs> I feel like it forces you to go into the past and think about the people who, because probably our limiting beliefs came from other people who who told us these things intentionally or unintentionally. We got that message along the way from parents, from bullies, from critics, from whoever that we weren't good enough or we're not beautiful enough or we're not just always, it always has, I feel like it always has to do with enough. Like we're not, an, we're enough not of something, something enough. And yeah. that's a really good second question to help you kind of peel back the first layer of that question is to think, how were you told these things about yourself? Because you eventually you internalized them and made them your own beliefs. So think about how were these beliefs told to me by others and then translate back that then to why do I believe this? So that's a really great way to kind of start unpacking where the belief originated. The next question, which is very hard to answer honestly, because as we're in the realm of negative self-talk, we aren't often thinking positively of ourselves. But the next question to ask yourself is, is this actually true? Oh, yeah, that's hard. Because if you're like, is it true that I'm not smart enough? Is it true that I don't have enough energy? And then because you always say to yourself, you're stupid, you're not smart. And then you're like, yeah, of course it's true. That's why I say it to myself. Yeah, of course you're tired. That's why you can't get up. You have no energy. Duh. Yeah, it's very hard to think that it's not true. And that's okay because... As we're saying, this is an exercise, and since we have this habit of negative self-talk, our first instinct isn't going to be, no, of course it's not true. So don't feel bad if your first instinct is to say, yes, it's true. But then the next question that will help you kind of get to the resolution is, can it be different? 
And that question is what will help you to kind of peel that back and say, well, is it true that I'm stupid? Yes, it's true. Can it be different? No. But then actually give yourself a moment and say, can it be different? Because there's always things that we can do to change some of those things. Not all things can change instantly just with our belief system, but some of those negative self-talk things that aren't true, that we think are true, can be changed by deciding we want it to be different. It feels freeing and it also feels empowering. I feel like the ultimate goal is when we figure out what our limiting beliefs are and bring them to light, then we can be free of them because then we can rewrite them and we can replace them with what we want to believe about ourselves. And this is a difficult process. This isn't an easy process. As Amy said, she's been doing it for seven years and she still slipped up right before us. <laughs> so, This is a work in progress and it takes time because ultimately you're shifting the language that you've used for so long to think about how you are, who you are, what you are. So give yourself some grace with this process. I have an example. Okay. Okay. So I carried around this subconscious limiting story that I had no idea was limiting and I had no idea was subconscious and I had no idea was a story that I told about myself and basically my story for many years, almost I would say 13 years, was that I am someone who is sick. And I think this is probably a story that a lot of us are carrying around. And my story was, I'm always sick. I'm always in the toilet. I'm always watching everything I eat. And even my friends would jokingly refer to me as their sick friend. Aww. They'd be like, oh, Amy's my sick friend, or I've never had a friend as sick as you, Amy. And there are little comments Aww. that people make. I mean, you're in your 20s, right? And they didn't mean sick like sick. They meant sick like Yeah, sick. not sick like awesome, yeah. you Aww. know, but sick like I'm physically sick. And when we would go out, I would be the one with the special food, and I would be the one with the special Tupperers and the special foam Everything. and the special this, and I'd be the one who, oh, we're climbing Mount I climb out Fuji. Oh, cool. Yeah, I need to rest literally every... <laughs> 10 feet. <laughs> yeah, no joke. I mean, my friends went up. Luckily, it was a really nice friend who stayed behind with me. So we were in Japan and we climbed Mount Fuji. I think they climbed up and down in about 10, 12 hours. Honestly, I took about 20 hours. Aww. It was forever. By the time I got down, everyone had left because we had all gone together, and then later we were going to go to this onsen, these Japanese hot springs, and then go to type of Japanese hotel. And no one was, they were all, everyone was gone, Aww. because I spent so, which was great. I mean, I climbed the mountain. It was you awesome. You got to do it by yourself. <laughs> by the end, I was shaking. My friend was pretty much carrying me down, but I felt so accomplished that I did it. But Aww. just everything that we did, I was always the person who was behind everyone, who was different than everyone who, and that's kind of been my whole life since I was 16. And I bet it's a lot of, like, it's a lot of, for a lot of us listening, I feel like we're always the one with the special accommodations and the special needs and the and special extra time and, or, yeah. Yeah. And then that can pinpoint in people's minds, oh, Amy, she's my sick friend or she's, my sick coworker or up with us yeah and so i just i think since you said how did you get this belief part of it i saw in my reality like i'm always sick and other people aren't but then part of it was people actually they like hammered it into you yeah they vocally reinforced the fact that i was always and then of course like why are you always sick oh you're still sick oh you don't look you know all those comments about how you're not really sick you put makeup on your face (laughs) you're not really sick are you Mm, okay So over the years, I got this belief that I was always sick, that I was sick. If I think back to it, I feel like it did limit me in so many ways because there were so many things. Like before I went up Fuji, I literally said, no, guys, I'm not going to climb with you. I mean, you're not climbing. You don't need special gear. (laughs) Yeah, you don't need anything. I mean, you walk up, but it, it can get kind of steep towards the top. But you, I mean, you walk up. Japanese people who are 85 years old can climb Mount Fuji. So, I mean, they're in very good shape in Japan. So it's like a pastime when you retire to go hiking and stuff. But anyway, so, I mean, people can do it of all ages. So we made this trip to go together to climb Mount Fuji. It was something iconic that we wanted to do while we lived in Japan. But I almost didn't go because I didn't think I could climb it because 
I'm always sick. And I, how am I going to go to the bathroom? What if I get sick? How am I going to have the energy? Like, what if I can't make it to the top? What if I, I mean, all these fears filled my mind and almost I didn't go. There are so many things that I didn't do in my past because I just assumed that I wouldn't be able to hack it, quote unquote, or to be able to have the energy or to go on this trip or there was so much fear around the things that I wanted to do because I was so afraid that I would be sick. And yeah, I mean, let's face it, I was sick a lot of the time. But I think the Mount Fuji is a really good example because I assumed that I couldn't do it. And my friends pushed me and pushed me and, no, you have to do it. And we're also bringing this together. I mean, they were quite supportive. But then they realized they couldn't actually walk me because I walked so slow. They were all like, we're going to go ahead and we're just meet you. I'll meet up with you at the onsen later. <laughs> Little did they know I'd be 10 hours after them, but I made it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but see, that's the thing. Guess what? I made it to the top of Mount Fuji. I cried like a little baby. Aww. I couldn't believe I made it. I was sobbing. My friend was like, are you okay? I was like, I'm just happy. I, I didn't ever think I could do something. I mean, it was so it was so beautiful. And I just was so shocked. And I proved to myself in that moment that I was capable of more than I thought I was. And so I think that's the thing. We, we are sick, but then we can, we're also capable of doing more than we think we can do. Yeah. I mean, sure. For so long, I didn't think I was capable of having a nine to five job. And it has been very challenging. And yes, I often have to go take naps in my car. And yes, sometimes I have thrown up in the garbage can of my cubicle. And yes, sometimes I have telecommuted from the toilet. And yes, the list could go on and on. But <laughs> <laughs> but ultimately, I am holding a nine to five job. And the same thing, I, there's times I thought, oh, I can't travel. And the same thing, yes, traveling is really hard. And yes, I throw up in the airplane. I see a common theme. Lots of throw up. I see a lot of common <laughs> a lot of vomiting. Thing. Yeah, I throw up, tend to throw up when I'm in a lot of pain. <laughs> but I, you know, there have been a lot of obstacles, and there's being sick makes things messy, right? But many times I'm still able to do the things that I want to do, but I just have to do them slower ten or prepare more. Ten hours slower <laughs> on Fuji. But, or I have to do them. Yeah, I have to do them. I, have to, I need more accommodations than a different person without endometriosis would need. So I have been meditating and reflecting a lot about who I am. So yes, there are times when I'm very sick. And yes, I have an illness called endometriosis. And yes, I carry around special homemade food and a big special foam when I go sleep away. And yes, I cancel my plans when I'm on my period, like total blackout. Don't bother me. And yes, endo dictates my life in so many ways. But endo isn't my entire identity. Endo doesn't have all the control over me. I realized I'm not, oh, I'm sick and oh, I'm the sick girl and oh, I'm the sick friend. And no, that's not who I am. I'm Amy. Nice to meet you, Santa. No, I'm Amy, and I am a amazing, beautiful, smart, caring, well-humored, very well-humored young woman who believes in Santa, who has so much to offer. I have so much to offer the world. I'm not any less than because I have endo. Part of my limiting belief of I'm sick is that I also thought of myself as being less than for so long. I would think, oh, I'm so lucky to have a job. And I am lucky to have a job. There are so many people who don't have a job. But I'm not lucky to have a job because I have endo, because I'm not good enough to have a job. I would think, oh, I'm lucky to have a partner who loves me because who's going to love someone with endo who needs special care, who sometimes your partner's a caretaker? No! I just want to give a big, fat slap in the face Ouchie. to that belief system Ow. with a big old, no! Ow. no, my cheek is all red, no. Brittany. Oh, let me do the other one to even it out. Okay, go ahead, go ahead. Quick. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to slap you, slap your belief system. Hold on, let me see it again, and you can slap the other cheek. Mm, okay, I'm ready. I'm so lucky to have a partner that loves me because who would love a person with endo? No, slap. Ouch. <laughs> 
That belief is so wrong. It's not true. You are worthy of love the way you are. Not in spite of things, not not worthy because of things. As a human being, you are worthy of love. The endometriosis has nothing to do with what you're deserving of. Each and every one of you listening to this podcast, and you included Amy listening to me talk. Oh, thank God. <laughs> what about Santa? Is he included? Uh, if he's listening to this podcast. Duh, of course he okay, is. What do you included. think? He, he does listen to Jingle Bells all the time. <laughs> that would be tiring, Brittany. Does Mrs. That would Claus be, have endo? Is that, that would, why he's supporting oh, us? <laughs> Mrs. Claus is so sweet. She has endo You're trying to move in on her. She like has endo and a deno. Wow. She, she needs some help, okay? <laughs> We're going to help. We're going to help you, Mr. Claus. You can help her. No, I know this. I know that we're all worthy of love because everybody listening to this podcast is a strong and amazing human being. And I say human being because at the very core, like I said before, all human beings are worthy of love. We're all high performers at whichever work we do or high performers at being a parent or being a partner or whatever occupation or activities we enjoy. We work hard. We love hard, and we care for one another. Just because we need flexibility for our health or because we have to put up boundaries, keep practicing those, I was talking to myself, (laughs) doesn't mean that we're less worthy of love, and it doesn't mean that we're lucky to have somebody who loves us in spite of an illness. That's not true, and that's a belief system that Amy and I both very strongly feel should be the first one you look at if you believe that. Because you, as who you are, is capable and worthy of love, regardless of what other extra things you need. They're extra. They're not part of your identity. Well, and I want to point out something I've been learning because I was really guilty of this. Who's going to love me because I have endo and I should take what I can get? And maybe I'm not happy in this relationship, but I was, you know, maybe I'm scared to break it off because can't get any better. Yeah, because I don't I don't want to be alone. Who's going to want to be with me? And I mean, I feel like it's kind of easy to go down that rabbit hole and go down that path. And something that has really helped me besides, of course, talking to Brittany, who is oh so knowledgeable all the time. <laughs> it's like she has, I read a lot. <laughs> she has so much love and I was lacking so much self-love and her all her self-love was overflowing. I was like, what is love? She's like, here. I'll give it to you. (laughs) I got plenty to spare. (laughs) Thank God. I need it. But I feel like another thing is that everyone has their baggage and everyone has issues and everyone has their dirty laundry. And okay, so I need assistance from my partner during a flare. Okay, so I can't have sex during certain times of the month. You know what? Big deal. He, my partner, just like all of us, so I'm not ratting on him, like I'm not nagging on him, like, he, yes, he, I'm pointing my finger. No, no, no. All of us human beings, as Brittany put it, all the human beings, we all have crap that we deal with. We all have baggage and weird stuff. Brittany has crap and baggage that I deal with. Not a lot, let's be what? honest. <laughs> but I have crap and baggage that Brittany deals with. We all deal with each other's baggage and crap in friendships. Coworker relationships. Oh, coworkers, geez. I mean, it doesn't have to be romantic to deal with each other's holdups, negative or limiting beliefs, or the way each other views the world. We all had different life experiences. So we all have crap and baggage, okay? Crappy baggage. <laughs> but Santa has beautifully gift wrapped baggage. Yes. Let's be clear Santa's baggage is incredible. Like, if you want to okay. date, excuse me, Mrs. Claus. <laughs> knock, knock. How old are you? Are you on the way out the door? Oh, I think terrible. they're like like thousands of years old, right? Aren't they like immortal? Like I don't. Do they I don't ever understand die? The lore. Am I ever gonna have a chance? I don't understand the lore. <laughs> do I need to break them up as in a divorce, or do I have a what? chance when Santa Claus becomes a widow? Or I mean, he's not who's gonna, gonna die first? One of them. They're gonna die at the same time, right? I don't know. <laughs> they live forever. <laughs> but the point is, Santa Claus's baggage is so beautiful. It's wrapped in this shiny paper with bows with tinsel with little bells on it i mean it'll drop your jaw but the rest of us have the ugliest we have ugly baggage and we have skeletons in our closet and we have crap that we have to deal with and sometimes that spills over that other people have to deal with but you know what 
all the crap that I have to deal with endo and that my partner sometimes has to deal with my endo does not make me any less of a loving person. It does not make you listening any less than the loving person that you are. I mean, honestly, if I, I mean, if I really thought about it, I think my partner's pretty lucky that I grace him with my presence. I mean, I agree with that. Hello? (laughs) How lucky that he gets to enjoy my humor while he cleans up my vomit during my period and pushes me around in a wheelchair but he gets to look at your beautiful face every day. When I get too tired. Hear your jokes. I mean, like, you're enjoyable to be around. I'd clean up your vomit. You have cleaned up my vomit yeah, before. <laughs> <laughs> but I would again. <laughs> so, what about you? You aren't your endo either. Endometriosis isn't who you are. It's not the entirety of your identity. You are made up of so many more identities. This is one facet, but it's not everything. And it doesn't override or overrule the rest of your identities. You aren't some sick, weak person. You aren't incapable. You aren't unable. You could climb Mount Fuji, too, if you wanted to. <laughs> you wanted to. Maybe. It's re- I'll, it was really hard, I'll be honest. <laughs> <laughs> but it's good to think about who you are really. What do you bring to this world? I bet you it's a lot. And you can ask yourself, who is graced by my presence? We're graced by your presence. I mean, but have you ever thought about this? Have you ever thought about the value you have unaffected by your endo? I think a lot of times we see our value through the facet of what we feel we're capable of or what this illness limits us from. But instead, we should think about regardless of the endo. Aside from the endo, what do we bring? What love do we give to the world? What skills, what enjoyment, what fun things do we contribute? I bet you it's a lot more than you think it is. So the next belief we want to talk about, and it's a big one, but it's the belief that I don't deserve to feel better. Do you see how smoothly I said that belief? Because that is a belief that I had for a really long time. It sounded a little too natural. (laughs) I don't deserve to feel better. That's more like how it went. Well, if you don't deserve to feel better, what belief does this also imply? I deserve to be sick. Duh. Everyone knows I deserve to be. Hello, Brittany. (laughs) No. I deserve. Yes, I deserve to be sick because if I didn't deserve to be sick, I would be better. Duh. It's pretty obvious in the logic. I've asked Santa every year, dear Santa, please this Christmas, I want to feel better. And what did I get? Nothing, because Santa's not real. No, Brittany, I got the side eye from Mrs. Claus, the stink (laughs) eye. Get away from my husband. I'm like, hey, I'm only writing him letters. Everyone, lots of people all over the cross the world. It's a free country. Okay. (laughs) So these beliefs require a lot of gentle probing (laughs) into why we believe that about ourselves, into why you believe that about yourself. What makes you think that you don't deserve to feel better? Amy, what makes you think that you don't deserve to feel better? I don't want to do the gentle probing, Brittany. I'm sorry. Too bad. You signed up for this podcast. You here. You're going to do some gentle probing. <laughs> okay, <I feel laughs> gentle like, emotional probing. I feel like we're about to do a rectal exam. <laughs> <laughs> You've had enough of those. You know how it goes. But this a, is just mental. You'll feel a slight, slight pressure. pressure in the rectum. <laughs> like, not the slight pressure. In the, I wouldn't have ate curry before I came. <laughs> you did a colon cleanse. Don't lie. You're fine. <laughs> I don't eat curry anyway, so I was fine. Oh, curry. <laughs> For at least a decade, I felt like I didn't deserve to feel better. And it's kind of hard to pinpoint why I feel like partially, as we established previously, I had very negative self-talk with myself. So I don't know. I just I didn't feel like I was good enough in so many aspects. And I was bullied a lot, as a, as a lot of us were. But I feel like some of us are very sensitive to bullies and criticism. And then we grew up feeling like, inadequate and we're not enough. And I don't know, I I do know that I felt like it had kind of like when I started working on my negative self-talk and on ultimately unblossoming my self-love towards myself, which I guess that's why it's called self-love. Yes. Good job. (laughs) 
I just feel like saying self-love is so cliche, but the truth but is- that's it, what it is. It's, it is hard to love and accept and forgive yourself. And I feel like I was really bad at that. I was very unforgiving for my mistakes, and I held myself to a very high standard that I never met. So because I never met that standard, I was never good enough. So it was the self-fulfilling belief and the self-fulfilling prophecy that I had. And then I feel like in my late 20s, I, I did. I did a lot of self-work and I read a lot of books on just self-help and self-acceptance and self-love. And I feel like I really got that under control until, which is kind of funny, I have mentioned the past, but I had a cancer scare last year and they didn't know if my endometrioma, that was 12 centimeters, that was the size of a grapefruit, if that, because I wasn't yet diagnosed with endometriosis. So they didn't know if I had an advanced ovarian cancer and the whole thing got very scary and very serious and go to the gynecological oncologist and have a surgery and the biopsy. And I was about two weeks with the possibility that it could have been ovarian cancer. During that time, first of all, I was a wreck. But second of all, I started having these really dark thoughts about myself. And they were very startling. And I was thinking these thoughts like, well, of course you have ovarian cancer because you don't deserve to feel better. Or or maybe this is some kind of punishment for not being a good enough friend and not being a good enough partner and not being a good enough daughter and not being a good enough at my work. And I mean, really, really, like for people I feel like who don't have these kind of thoughts, they could look from the outside and say, oh my gosh, wow. that sounds so silly. Yeah, like she's really going deep in the rabbit hole. But I feel like these are thoughts that a lot of us have. And they stem ultimately from this I don't know. For me, I think it was just a, this great feeling of inadequacy. And then I had to ask, like, I had to talk to myself in the moment and ask myself and say, hey, okay, just because you forgot to call back this person or you should have hugged your mother more, all these little inconsequential, of course, they're important, but they're not something that would condemn you to having cancer and death. And then I would ask myself, okay, why do all these murders and people who do really terrible things, I mean, I don't see them all dropping from cancer. So I had to like logically rationalize with myself. But it was funny how when I got the cancer scare for those two weeks, I had a lot of these intrusive thoughts about how, of course, it's going to be cancer because you deserve to have cancer because you've done all these things wrong. And then I would list in my mind like all these silly things that I've done wrong. Nothing huge, like these just silly little things that I oh, you didn't turn that project in on time and you could have been nicer to that girl. Remember when you were 22 years old? You should have apologized when you got in that fight with Jessica. I mean, it was really, it was like really. Woo! <laughs> that list seems long. It was long. And silly. And silly things on that list. I mean, they were, they were little mistakes that I'd made, but they weren't worthy of, you should be condemned to having cancer and death. And literally nothing you do on this planet condemns you to having an illness. As we've learned. You're born with endometriosis, so there's literally nothing you can do to deserve endometriosis or cancer. You don't deserve to be sick. I mean, Amy and everybody listening. Because no one does. Your illness isn't punishing you. The universe, a higher being, those things are not punishing you. What about Santa Claus? Is he punishing me? Yes. What if I'm bad? He might bring you a really crappy gift, but it won't be the gift of Ento. <laughs> Lucky you. But you know who is punishing you? Is yourself. <gasps> I know, surprising. But you're punishing yourself with these limiting thoughts. They shape the actions that you take around your illness. So nobody else is causing the anguish internally but us. And that's a really hard thing to navigate. Instead of believing that we deserve to be sick or we don't deserve to feel better, instead we should acknowledge the truth, which is that we do deserve to feel better. We do deserve to get better. We matter. You matter. And fight for that. Don't give up because you are worth it. You may not think you're worth it now. You may be in that place of learning, but Amy and I both know that if we're worth it, you're worth it. And it's something we've both had to learn ourselves. And we hope that all of you can learn that as well, because that is the most truthful thing that we can say today 
is that you are worth healing and you are worth feeling better and viewing yourself better. You are worth it. I feel like when you said fight for it, you were speaking directly to me about my love for Santa Claus. <laughs> and you want me to go. I no, will. Yes, I, I, I am not. worth it. I am worthy. Fight for it. You're going down, Mrs. Claus. I think you should leave their happy marriage happy and you should find someone else. <laughs> fight for it. I don't want to be a okay. wrecker. I don't. <laughs> Fine. I guess it'll suffice to be Santa Claus's pen pal. <laughs> I'm concerned that she still thinks Santa's real at this point. Fight for it. Fight for it. That's a pretty, she said, fight for it. She doesn't know that I'm answering the letters. (laughs) (laughs) It's creepy now. (laughs) Santa Claus's handwriting looks just like Brittany's. We actually took the same calligraphy classes together, so. (laughs) Handwriting 101 script. (laughs) Well, everything that you just said about how we deserve to feel better brought up in me. Another limiting belief that I had for a very long time, which was that I'm never going to feel better, not because I don't deserve to feel better, but because like nothing works, everything fails, nothing works. I'm never going to feel better. I didn't realize you could tell the future. You know you can tell the future and know that you're never going to feel better? Are you a fortune teller? Is Santa into fortune tellers? No, leave him alone. (laughs) (laughs) You creep. No, I don't know what he's into, but are you a it's fortune teller? It's fine to have a healthy crush. A healthy? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that's uh, really healthy. <laughs> don't call me sick, Brittany. We've already established I'm not sick. You called yourself sick. I never said the word. You said I don't have a healthy crush, implying I have a sick crush. I didn't he- imply anything. You implied it on yourself. <laughs> oh, my God. Maybe I am a fortune teller. <laughs> Mind reader. <laughs> I feel like this belief that I'm never going to feel better is so common. And yes, I mean, first of all, we want to acknowledge that it is true that endometriosis is an incurable illness. There is no cure. Stab me in the heart right now. I'm so sad. But as we talked about in the episode on treatment, you're not doomed. There are countless things that we can do to support our health in the mind, body, and spirit. And that's why this belief of I'm never going to feel better is so dangerous and so limiting. If you already know that you're never going to get better, then why try? Why take steps to improve things in your life? You've already given up because there's nothing you can do to change it. Oh, there's nothing I can do. So you know what? Why bother? Why look for answers? Why eat healthy? Why do research? Why exercise? Why look into treatment options? This belief is so damaging because it defeats you before you even start trying. Give up! That's what, it, that's what this belief says. Your fate is sealed! Is it sealed with tape or is it sealed with glue? Is A it hot wax stamp. Is it super glue? Oh, okay, so there's... Yeah, like I like, you know, calligraphy. We talked about that. <laughs> That hot wax pour, you put the seal on it. It's like, you know, 1860. No. I've sealed my fate with crusted vomit. Oh. I feel like that appropriate. would... I feel like that would close... If, if yeah. vomit got I mean, in a crack yeah. and dried, I feel like it would become hardened. Yeah, I could see that. A lot of acid in there. <laughs> but yeah, that's the thing. If you, if you give up, if your fate is sealed, be it with wax or with crusted vomit then that does become a self-fulfilling prophecy and you will never get better. But not because you have endo, but from this lie, this belief that we're never going to get better, which which influences our behavior to not try at all. When I believed that I was never going to get better, my mind was already made up that it couldn't be done. So when people said, oh, Have you tried, and I know, I know how annoying it is when people say, have you tried yoga? Have you tried fish oil? It cures everything. But we know there's no cure, but we can still go after optimal health and optimal wellness. Like, instead of chasing the cure for endo, which scientists should be chasing that cure. It doesn't exist currently. Researchers should be chasing this cure. I think that we can 
chase our own personal optimal wellness. So if you come across something and it says, oh, I don't know, let me throw something out there. Taking a walk daily can help with your pain. And you're like, well, I'm never going to feel better. Why should I try that? I already know it doesn't matter if I take a walk daily. It's not going to help my pain. And you might be right. Taking a walk daily might not help your pain. Doing yoga might not help your pain. Going gluten-free might not help your pain. Eating turmeric might not help your pain. It didn't help mine. But going gluten-free did help me and my pain. So, you know, we're all different. It's all this big, messy, annoying, frustrating, for sure, trial and error. And I feel like for me, feeling better has been this really long mess of trial and error. Try something. This thing didn't work. Move on to the next thing. Try the next thing. Oh my gosh, it made an impact. It it worked. Try something else. I feel like there is so much that we can try. And there's a huge difference in language between, well, nothing ever works versus something will work. Nothing works for 100% of people 100% of the time. But if you don't try anything, nothing will work. And like Amy said, it's trial and error. What works for her does not work for me. And what works for me does not work for her. Some of the things are the same, and we can share tips. But a lot of the things that help us feel better are not the same. So if she told me to try something, I tried it, it didn't work for me, that's okay. I have something that works for me that doesn't work for her, that's also okay. But by trying nothing means that there will be no improvement And sometimes when we try something, it leads us to something else that actually does work. And there's no way any of us have tried everything. I mean, Amy might be close. She's tried just about everything. But there's so many other options out there. I have even tried the kale enema. Yes. (laughs) Did not work. (laughs) I don't remember who told me about that, but I want to let them know. Did not work. It may have worked for them. Not for her. But it did not work for me. So there's so many opportunities out there to find ways to help ourselves feel better. That should be empowering, that there's so many things that we can try to even just improve ourselves 1%. 1% can make a giant impact when it's 99% horrible, and just that one shining moment can make it better. So don't limit yourself to the ability to try. Things are going to fail. You're going to try things, and they're not going to work, and it's going to feel discouraging. But that means that those things didn't work, but something else will. So don't limit yourself to trying things. Well, and I like what you said about the 1%, because if I think about 10, 15 years ago, when I was in my late teens, early 20s, and I was very sick compared to now, I don't think I can pinpoint anything revolutionary that I did that gave me an 80 or a 90% improvement. All the things that I did over the years added up. There was a 1% here. For example, when I went gluten-free and sugar-free, that was a huge improvement. Maybe I got 30% better. And when I started walking daily, maybe that helped me 10%. And when I started doing yoga, maybe that helped me another 20%. And when I got better support in my life, like Brittany, like the partner that I have now to to lift me up, to help me with my self-talk, to be there for me, to help me grow my self-love. Maybe that helped me another 10%. I'm ballparking here. Brittany obviously helped me a billion percent. Hello. (laughs) But just to make it fair to all the other Okay. And then I started doing acupuncture. And in that moment, that helped me greatly. And then And then I was lucky enough to have excision, and that also really pushed the needle. So all these things that I did over the years just kept pushing the needle little by little. It wasn't one thing that helped me to, quote unquote, feel better. It was the culmination, the combination of all of these things. Another thing is I gave up this belief, this limiting belief, like I have to feel better. For me, feeling better just meant having energy having less pain, being able to go to work. Like I gave up this, for me, this limiting belief that I had to feel perfect all the time. And I think that was also a major turning point for me. I think one of the best traits of the endo community is that the sense of being relentless 
in order to get diagnosed, many of you had to be relentless. You faced disbelief and opposition from family members, friends, doctors, and you had to go after and find and be relentless in the path and quest for getting diagnosis. So take that relentless tenacity because honestly, that is an amazing skill and you should applaud yourself for having it. Take that focus and viewpoint of being relentless in the quest for diagnosis and shift that towards finding ways to help yourself feel better with the diagnosis. That work will pay off. Getting a diagnosis, I mean, it was defeating to know that that's what your illness is, but it also feels finally like a sigh of relief. I have a name. I know what I have. So that paid off. So being relentless towards the path of finding these things to help you feel better will pay off. It will be just as much work, but it will be worth it in the end. We have faced so much resistance in the endo community, and we really are so relentless in our quest for answers. And I love that. So add that to your story. It's not, I'm sick. It's, I stand tall in the face of resistance. I infront my challenges. I look them in the eye and I'm like, I will conquer you. So these are the kind of stories that we need to be telling ourselves. Personally, I think addressing limiting beliefs, which tend to show themselves in the language that we use, is really powerful. And I know for me, it's been a really powerful step in getting closer to feeling better because I started to believe, to actually believe that I could feel better which influenced the actions that I took in my life. So my the way that I thought then later influenced what I did and how committed I was to trying to feel better, to making sleep a priority, to exercising daily, because all that stuff is really hard. And when we don't think that we're capable, when we don't think it's going to get anywhere, when we, don't, when we think it's, I can't, I never, it's impossible, it's bad luck. When we use all of this language to frame our life, to frame this limitation language, to frame our endometriosis, to, to frame our future, when we use all of this language, we only see limitations instead of freedom. And that influences how we act in our lives. And ultimately, that influences how we feel about our illness. And ultimately, ultimately, that influences if we take steps to get better. And learning to shift this language isn't instant. Yes, it is, Brittany. Don't no, lie it's to not. them. Oh. You're lying to them. Like you're lying to yourself about Santa. This <laughs> learning Only to- I talk about Santa. <laughs> and his name is little Nikki. Oh, that's creepy. <laughs> that's 100% creepy. <laughs> little Nikki. <laughs> Just because you don't know him on a personal level. <laughs> okay, because you do. <laughs> anyway, back to the important topic at hand. Shifting this language is not instant. It takes a lot of time and it takes a lot of practice and it takes a lot of messing up. The language is ingrained in our society. So it's not just issue that this community deals with, as Amy said before. It's an issue that permeates our society. So even trying to shock this language is hard because everyone else around us is using it. But for people who have chronic illness, it's especially important because the language is disabling rather than enabling. Just being mindful of the words we use and how we're speaking can really shape the beliefs that we have to match the reality that we want to live in. That's the future we should be concerned about, not the telling the future that will never get better. The future in which we are better and the words we say and the way we shape our beliefs help us to make decisions that get us to the future that we want. And that's why it's so important to not let negative self-talk permeate how we see ourselves. As Brittany was talking about using future language and, and thinking about who we want to be in the future. So I'm always trying to think about who do I want to be in the future? Who am I in the future? What have I accomplished in the future? And talking to myself in the present about that. Self-fulfilling prophecies go both ways. (laughs) They can go negative or they can go positive. If you tell yourself that you're going to do things to feel better, you will do things to feel better. We hope today we were able to identify and conquer 
and replace some limiting beliefs that you may have. It does take time. It takes a lot of self-reflection, a lot of work. There's so many limiting beliefs out there. It may take time to figure out what yours are, but hopefully we've opened the door to thinking about this and to being able to start making those shifts in mindset and language. And hopefully Santa's listening and he understands how much I love him. So thank you. He knows. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you so much for listening today. We are on in16years.com and on our Instagram page, which is at in 16 years of endo. We'll talk to you next time. Bye.